HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by 818 Tequila, delicious and smooth tequila, made in harmony with the earth. 818 Tequila, imported by 818 Spirits, Manhasset, New York. 40% alcohol by volume, drink responsibly. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at HearstRanch.com. Welcome to The Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is Max McKinnon. We'll talk to Max about food, wine, pizza, Roberta's, and more. We'll taste a Tricot Pinot Noir Rosé for our weekly wine sip. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for The Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. Hailing from California with time spent in Vermont, Max McKinnon found a love for cooking and attended the French Culinary Institute after graduating college in Vermont. He crisscrossed the country working in San Francisco, Washington, D.C., Hudson, New York, his own restaurant, Pisto, in Vermont, and even worked in Copenhagen. Max always had a love for wine and morphed over to wine sales, eventually leaving to hit the floor as wine director at Roberta's Pizza in New York, previously at Roberta's in Culver City. Um, We are here in Bushwick at the Heritage Radio Studios. Max, welcome to the Great Nation. Thank you for having me. Um, Like I said, we're talking to Max from our Heritage Radio Studios at Roberta's Pizza in two truck containers in the back of the restaurant. So that ambient noise you hear in the background, people enjoying pizza. And Max's wine selections. Uh, Max, it's kind of a tradition on the Grape Nation that we have the wine guy from Roberta's on. Um, that's why I chased you down. Sure. Because we're in and out of here so much. We've had Amanda Smeltz on. We had Hugh Crickmore on. Uh, Kirk Sutherland. Oh, yeah. um, I don't think there was anyone in between. 
Sounds like you hit the and then, major And then players. you, Max McKinnon. <laughs> so it's good to sit down with you. Um, let's assume not everyone knows everything about you. Most people don't, I'm sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm trying to be delicate, man. Right. Um, so give me a little background on your journey in food, life, and wine um, that got you here today, you know, which is in Brooklyn at Roberta's. And it's pretty rich, you know, so I, I want you to co- – oh, you, sure. your angle is interesting because <laughs> a lot of people fell in love with wine or came from wine, you know – Get me started at the appropriate place to start. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of fell in love with wine through food, um, kind of after food. So um, at some point in college, I got very interested in cooking, and um, yeah, that just became kind of an But obsession. how does that happen? You're in college. You're at Middlebury in Vermont. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, great state, pretty good food culture, natural sure. food and all that, but, you know, not the biggest restaurant thing what how does that happen i think i fell into it uh through just loving to host people um even in college my mother was living you know less than an hour away in burlington Mm, Um, so every once in a while i'd get a couple of friends and drive up and eventually just started making dinner for whatever reason uh it just it felt right to be and you I mean, had, you felt you had a good command of uh, preparing I mean, and co- or was not, learning not, as you not, not early on, but uh, I think I picked it up maybe quicker than most. Um, it, it felt a little more natural. Uh, and yeah, then it was buying cookbooks and then it was just sitting there reading them so instead of reading textbooks at so school. <laughs> fair to say like a mild obsession with it? Yeah, I think that's a... Uh, good way to put it all right so was i correct in saying that when you graduated college you took those interests and went to culinary school i did yeah okay pretty Um, much right away so everything really gelled and you decided let me take this to the next level yeah um i had some pretty fun and interesting and challenging experiences while i was in new york challenging only in that we're often very long days and I was going to school at night, um, working during the day, working some nights when I was off you at had school. Yeah, to juggle and, everything. Yeah, so. Uh, when you decided to go to cooking school, did you have a um, focus? Like uh, French cooking, Italian cooking, pastries? I think I was generally uh, drawn to French cooking. For you? Um, yeah. French culinary. <laughs> right, right. Uh, that made sense. And, yeah. And uh, So when you go there, is it like classically trained? They sort of take the French cooking yeah. thing and... Right. You, you learn kind of the brigade system and your uh, mother sauces and kind of everything from there on. So very classic. Yeah. Uh, Do you finish the program? I did. It was nine months, so it was, it was okay. pretty... Intensive? Uh, yeah, but not not too crazy. Okay. Uh, it was kind of a, you know, there were some people who came maybe out of high school, but most people had either had another job and right. were switching industries or they came after college or whatever. But were you one of the older guys there? I mean, you're not an old guy per se. I, I was kind of in between. In the middle, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so while you're there, obviously you realize it's going to come to an end. What are you thinking about, you know, doing? What are you going to do? I mean... 
I had, after college, moved right down to the city. Um, and a friend of mine in, in school did the same. And we, she was working, um, and I was in school and working. And kind of during our free time, if we were interested in going out to some restaurant that we probably shouldn't be able to afford, right. or, uh, she was always the one I called. Uh, so we actually both decided to move back to Vermont after a year in the city. So, what was that part of the plan, or just things got too intense or too expensive? Or I, I don't. It I wasn't. I felt maybe drawn to the food scene because I'd uh, had a little bit of an experience in it, and and thought there were a couple people I could go back and work for. Um, what year is this? This is two thousand and eleven. Okay. Um, so you you go to school in New York. You finally head back to Vermont. What happens there? Um, I was looking for a job. Um, she found a job, and was serving in, in downtown Burlington. And I reached out to the few people I thought I could work with, and never heard back. <laughs> and uh, thanks a lot. We ended up. Somebody put us in touch with a real estate guy and. We found a little 33-seat restaurant, and it, it was... It was, was um, set up as a restaurant? It was, yeah. I mean, oh. we, we did a little work on it, but for, so, some, for whatever reason, we decided to make, so make the crazy... So that was crazy. Pisto? Yeah. And it was it called Pisto then, or you named it Pisto? It was in a Spanish restaurant, okay. and then we decided to call it Pisto, and... Pisto. Uh, uh, yeah. So you're not up there that long, and you find a property? Yeah. So, and the two of you jump into this? We did. Uh, she ran the front of house, uh, and I was in the kitchen. So you had to think quick about a vision. I mean, what was your... Yeah, I mean, it was very seasonal and, like, focused on local produce and meat and, you know, seafood as well, but uh, with a, a, a lean towards French cooking. Um, was it easy to... Pre procure ingredients up there it was uh you know in the winter you get used to yeah. cooking the same thing it's or limited. the same produce at least uh and you try and get creative with it but uh at least the quality was there so you go up to vermont is this really your first gig it, it, was there anything in between essentially yeah right so how long are you, you're owners of the restaurant. Yeah. How long are you operating the restaurant for? Uh, three years. Uh, she was there for a year um, and, I, and then left and I was there was, for two more. Was it a decent go? I mean, it was, it was yeah. a successful, was yeah. it a, I mean, acclaimed in much know, more, local papers and all that, magazines? Uh, yeah, we, we were nominated for James Beard Award. And we were like, it's impressive. Uh, I mean, it was shocking, honestly, but. I woke no, up. Don't, don't say I mean, that. Hey, I was, don't say that. I was 25 years old. That's the shocking part. <laughs> Not your ability or your effort in the food. It's yeah. just, you know, how quickly it happened. Right. All right. So let's keep moving along. So you're up and open for about three years. And then uh, after about eight months, I started buying wine for the restaurant. So it's kind of where the wine journey starts. Okay. We'll Seriously. come back. I want to come back to that. Right. Um, what... Why does Pisto come to an end? I just 
was very tired and uh literally from the crazy hours and the heat yeah. and the stress and i was the only owner owner operator and uh yeah it was a, a tiny little restaurant on a corner in burlington vermont and i was like i feel like there's i feel like there's more <laughs> yeah but don't you for a moment say holy shit this is what i chose to do for the rest of my life now i'm nervous or you didn't think that way no, I still still you just had enough energy break. and had enough, okay. or at least you know knew knew the the passion was still there. So, is it fair to say that the restaurant established you as a legitimate restaurant guy, chef, I, and all that? I mean, a James Beard so. nominations, yeah. you know, real stuff. Right. So you close the restaurant because you had it, and then there's a fairly interesting journey yeah. of you traveling around. So, right. you know, take me through those locations. Um, it started with a brief stint in Hudson, New York. I was there just for a summer uh, helping out at Zach Palacios fishing game. He was one of the first guys up there. Uh, yeah. Or one of the first big name guys. And then from there, just a few months in Copenhagen. You know, I didn't have a visa, so. Where were there you as in long Copenhagen? As uh, at a restaurant called Relay. Uh, yeah, and I cooked there for six weeks and then worked on with their wine import company for six weeks. And then after that, came back. Wait, what? stop for a sec. When you're in Copenhagen, Hagen, Hagen, are things so much different there? It's not that you'd been in the business for like 20 years, right. but you, you know, you had your own place. Yeah. You were up with Zach, you know, at Hudson for a little bit. Is, is it different there? I, I mean, do they just see it and do it differently or it's the same but different? I think it's pretty different. Is uh, it? Yeah, it gave me a, a very interesting and uh, at least unique to me perspective. Important uh, to your future as far as how you... I think so. I'm sure. Yeah. I think it has an impact on the way I look at restaurants yeah. and wine and Good timing. food. And, yeah. So. All right, so brief stint in Copenhagen. Then tell me what happened. I was in Vermont for a little bit, but uh, mostly just figuring out what was next. And I cooked a couple kind of like pop-up or guest chef dinners. Uh, and Dustin Wilson was at one, and he was a managing partner at this restaurant in San Francisco and recruited me to go out and be the chef there. Uh, Which restaurant? It's called Mason Pacific. Uh, and. Dustin's involvement was he was helping them with the wine, or yeah. was he a partner? He was a they kind of like a managing in. partner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Did uh, he have the wine store out there by then, or this preceded that? He was working on it. He was? Yeah. Okay. Um, so, to my research, you get some pretty good notoriety there, getting in, sure. when it closed, and all that. Yeah. How long were you there? Oh, less than a year. Um, and is San Francisco a place that you loved or just uh, I, I always liked the Bay Area okay. and uh, yeah it was a nice I actually missed our one one year in DC but right what uh <laughs> that was before that right wait DC proceeded yeah it was after Copenhagen before what San was Francisco. the DC place um I was cooking at a place called Rose's Luxury uh and then I was working uh front of house at a place called Ripple. Um, DC is an interesting market. Yeah. You know, yeah. not like many other markets. No. So you go to DC to Maison Pacific. Why do you leave there after a year? Um, it was just not the right fit at Maison Pacific, and I wasn't sure how 
the restaurant was going to move forward, and it ended up closing not long after I left. So really, yeah. Um, so I'm your high school guidance counselor, and I'm sitting with you, and I'm looking at your not resume, but whatever, and I'm like, Max, there may be a problem here. You seem to be bouncing around yeah. a lot. Yeah. Why is that? Is that typical of getting starting in the business and getting your sea legs? I think all of the experiences I had were kind of important in getting me to where I was going, and it was just figuring out where and what I would be doing. And. You left on your terms. Yes. You know, it uh, wasn't like you got thrown out or no. you were stealing or you were a crappy cook. No. Or yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at that point, it's unusual sure. to be that young, to be somewhere for yeah. many years. But Pisto out of the shoot was a pretty good run for yeah, three years. It was. And it, it wasn't, was I mean, you didn't shut down because of economics. You just. No. Yeah. So it, it was wasn't time. that either. Yeah. All right. So. We're up to the closing of Maison Pacific. What happens after that? Uh, my girlfriend, who was then, by the time I left San Francisco, was my fiance. Uh, we went to Vermont. My a friend of mine was opening a wine bar, um, and he wanted some help, so uh, we helped him open, basically. He had owned a very successful retail shop. Um, right. What's it? The Dallas? Dallas, yeah. Yeah. And then... It's still there? It is, yeah. Yeah, it's a uh, highly regarded Yeah, you know, and location. expanding. And, yeah. Um, but yeah, he just needed some help to get, what the, year get the wine bar open. That was 2017, maybe? Okay. Um, All right, so let's... Let's rapidly move into the current. So you do that, you get them off the ground. Yeah. You know it's kind of a stopover yeah. to help them. What's on your mind and where do you go? Uh, we had actually a friend of my wife's reach out. Um, a guy who owned a restaurant in a restaurant and bakery in Austin, Texas. Um, she's from Texas. Uh, he had kind of his upper management team kind of were all moving on at the same time. And so he called Corinne and uh, asked if we would come help him out. Both of you? Yeah. And um, was it mostly a bakery or a bakery restaurant? Uh, there did a decent amount of wholesale business, but the restaurant was open, you know, 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. So seven how, days a week. How or, long do you do that? Uh, just over a year. Um, and then I got into wine sales down there. So your crossover to wine happened down in Texas and Austin? Kind of the full move. I what, always kind of like... What's, what's the reason? You knew the bakery bread thing was, you know, not permanent. Yeah. Do you meet somebody or are you looking? I mean, because this is yeah. kind of a big move. Right. Well... Um, a friend of mine, or, you know, I moved down and one of the, the guys who I became very close with, um, owned a import and distribution company. So he and I had been talking and, you know, he needed a little bit of help and I was looking to kind of make the jump over and it was a good, a good way for me to do it. When you say you're going to make the jump over at that point, you realize kind of done enough yeah in the kitchens and restaurants wine kind of juices me 
let me think about was he just distributing wine in the state or the region or was he importing stuff into the country or just distributing in texas yeah um did you go with him because your sensibilities matched his you like the kind of wine generally yeah okay and he had a very strong portfolio and so you're you're in sales yep so you're doing retail and restaurants on premise and all of that yeah did any regrets like wait what am i doing here i'm a sales guy no i mean i i knew that probably wasn't what i was going to be doing forever but i was able to work with you know a lot of great wine and you know work with accounts restaurants and people that you're familiar with what they do all day right exactly um does that lead to roberta's or anything in between um that was the last thing i did before roberta's okay so you told me off air you were in California at the Roberta's there. Yeah. What year was that? Two thousand and end of two thousand nineteen is when we moved there. Okay. I started with Roberta's in two thousand twenty. And Culver City, how old was it? That one it was fairly new, right? Yeah, it was less than two years at that point, maybe. Kind of hit the ground running, right? Yeah. I mean, it seemed like that whole neighborhood, right. Culver City, the workspace, West Adams, all yeah. that. There was a lot of good stuff there. Definitely. Um, so you're out there. There's a guy in New York, I guess, with the title. He leaves. Mm-hmm. Is that the opportunity for you to step up? That was, yeah. And that was November of 2020? I, November 2020 is when I, I was with... I moved in June of last year. Right. Um, so 2020 was California? Yeah. Got it. And in June of last year, which is about a year ago... Yeah, exactly. You come to Roberta's Bushwick. Yeah. I think we, and, my wife and I landed a year ago today. And you're the wine director. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll ask you this now. I was going to ask you later. Roberta's is expanding into Montauk. They have yeah. Culver City. They have these pop-ups and all of that. Are you working with wine for all those locations? I am, yeah. So whatever you see in any of those places, your hand is, yeah. you're touching that, which yeah. is very cool. Um, you know, there's some ambitious stuff there. All right. So that brings us up to current. Um, interesting to see a food guy, sure. you know, morph into, you know, a wine guy. Kind of subtle. Yeah. You know, you get called down to Texas, you know, help a guy out. You knew it was going to end. And then, you know, you're selling wine. All right. So let me ask you a bunch of general things and then we'll talk about Roberta's. Was there any person that influenced your interest in food i mean was it anything at home at the table was it a college friend you know that you you know where this food thing come from was it self hard to say i think a lot of it came from me but um my mom is also a, a pretty good cook and you know she's never spent a long time working in restaurants but I, there was a, a period she a, did a work long, in a long time ago um not of, like a waitress, diner waitress. No, she was, I mean, I think she maybe waited in tables some um, and then cooked a little bit, but it was mo- mostly like, I think it was up in uh, like Westchester County and like oh, yeah? at a friend's place. She worked for a bit. So it, was, it sounds somewhat internal and organic. Yeah. You know, there was no great force. No, it was a slow, kind of a slow transition. Yeah. And then, you know, the trail after that was pretty significant, as we discussed. Right. Um, You talked about, and and I said we'll talk about it a little later, you talked about when you, one of your last jobs, 
before you got here was in Texas. Mm -hmm. You talked about helping a friend out down there and then taking a job in wine sales. Um, when did you realize, and I think it was before that, when did you realize that wine was an important part of what interested you and, you know, maybe in the back of your mind, something I want to do? I mean, what? I think it happened fairly early on. Um, I obviously fell into food and that led to restaurants and restaurants, wine is involved. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't even drink alcohol till I was almost 22. Uh, why? Uh, smoked a lot of pot? No, no, I stayed away from everything. <laughs> it just no, wasn't a thing that was around you. It was, know? it was a thing to, uh, to, a degree that wasn't healthy for a lot of my family. So I think I just like naturally. Okay. All right. That's all right. <laughs> so um, my, my parents, parents are constantly shocked at the fact that I, you know, well, am working in wine and, and managing it. <laughs> no negatives there. Right. Um, when you talked about Pistou, Pistou, um, you said not, you, you got into wine. Yeah. Um, That's where it like, hit kind of full force right i mean you put your neck out there to put yeah. you know select wines put it right. together compatible yeah. to the food you know yeah. my, my, my partner had been doing it for you know the first six or eight months and eventually we had a conversation and it was like you seem a lot more interested in, in this and ambitious with it so did I you can... guys have similar likings um or... i think so um i obviously you know took a deeper dive into figuring out exactly what I wanted out of the program and what I loved. And, uh, All right, so that that's an interesting moment to me. Mm -hmm. That's early in your career. That precedes San Francisco, right. big city, D.C., big city, L.A., and all of that. Yeah, I still did a lot of cooking after that. Yeah. <laughs> what, what were you thinking wine-wise? What did you know? I mean, what were you exposed to? Vermont doesn't have the exposure to wines that you can get here in New York or San Francisco. Not, I mean, not all of it, but... Some cool stuff. Yeah, and, and it, it was growing at that point um, already. And as I mentioned, I mean, we talked about Daedalus, but um, we went... When we just spoke about it, that was kind of like their expansion, but their previous location was around the corner from Bistu. Um, so, and they brought in a lot of wine that wasn't being sold in most of Vermont. So uh, that had a... Definitely had an impact. Impact. And, like, uh, did you know that you were leaning toward... Or, or here, I'm making a statement. I mean to mm -hmm. ask a question. Were you interested in natural wines were small producers you know well thought out wines were what you were interested in. did you realize that or do you didn't you didn't realize it but you knew they were making good wines i think i realized that pretty early on okay. and, um yeah i, I wasn't a hundred percent natural wine at that point but right. but always well made wine and you know it was you know, the Kermit Lynch and Louis Dresner and Rosenthal book. And then I kind of like... The first and good guys. Found even ZRS at that point. I've, uh, uh, Jenny and yeah. Francois, those yep. guys. So, Bowler to yeah. some extent. But um, all of that 
was available up in Vermont and uh, to a greater degree because of Daedalus and you know they bought a lot and of And I wine. think proximity a lot of these guys yeah. realized you know we could expand the business to Massachusetts right. Vermont which is a good thing right. I mean, a good break for Vermont. Yeah. And they started coming up and they wanted to go out to good restaurants and luckily they often chose to come to mind so um, I'm curious about when you jumped into the business you worked at all levels you know we're talking we're talking almost 10 years ago a decade or whatever mm-hmm. have you seen things change substantially I mean and I'm talking about throw in the pandemic sure I'm talking about the way workers are treated I'm talking about the environment I mean like for instance at Pisto, did you have an opportunity to create an environment that you thought was right, or you didn't have time to think about it? And it was too early. In the we game? we were trying. You were you were aware, and you know, I feel like I always tried to be a good boss. You know, whatever that meant be to nice. me. Yeah, give people what they ask for. That's I, important. I was, you know, send people home when they're sick. Like, so uh, you had a you had a fair sense of because you know that doesn't always exist everywhere. Right, right. Um, but that always felt right to me. Um, is not being that way one of the parts of what's wrong with this business? Uh, I mean, obviously, it's my uh, inclination to work that way, and it's the way I want to be treated. So I think that's uh, you know, I think most people would probably benefit from from being that way obviously it gets difficult at times and you know it's yeah. not like because the horror stories you hear because of the pandemic and the light it's shown on you know the industry right um, I think people were just fed up and yeah. you know, the restaurant owners companies got away with it yeah um, and a lot of people now are realizing that they don't have to do the work so that's a good thing they you're can definitely see and change yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, it makes it difficult for uh, to keep the same number of restaurants in New York City or anywhere else, really, but uh, and keep them fully staffed. But listen, a lot we'll of figure it out. A lot of people that grace these microphones left the floor, yes, and a lot of them sure. took jobs in the industry, and some left the industry mm-hmm. um, for various reasons: age, too much work, couldn't take it anymore, right. you know, that type of stuff. Um, so you started here in New York kind of in the middle of COVID, right? Yeah. Kind of an uneasy time. Right. Yeah. You know, open, close, open, you know, June of last year was a little crazy, right? Yeah. And, you know, we've we've gone through a couple of shutdowns and trying to navigate what to do with everybody and how to keep the business operating at some level. Um, luckily, we saw a lot of pizza, so... And you were you able always, to weather that storm. Yeah. But I mean, this is a destination. Sure. For physical location, for the product. Right, you right. Know, people are not going to forget Roberta. If yeah. they go under, then it's going to be yeah. tough for other people. But I mean, I definitely had a couple of months in Culver City where I was, you know, sitting in front of delivery tablets and packing pizza in boxes. And <laughs> <laughs> you, and, so. you and almost everyone right, else in the right. business. Um so, the list here at Roberta's is 
I don't know. To me, it's, it's small family, natural wine producers. Sure. You know, an interesting list. Yeah. We talked about this, but tighten it up for me. I mean, when was that moment that the commitment to natural wines, you know, was forged in your mind? It's like this... This is what I like. This is what I'd like to turn people on to. Right. There's a lot of other stuff there. There's enough of this. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I started tasting it fairly early on in my career with wine. Back and, to Pistot yeah. and the, the uh, retailer and all that. Right. And was kind of drawn to it then. Um, what was the draw? Because those days could have been funky, could have been inconsistent. Right, right. You know, still today, but not yeah. as much. I mean, Maybe I was we, lucky to be 25 and, and didn't open. Give a crap. And, yeah. uh, what, what was the draw? I mean, was it the story, I the practices? It, some of it was the story. I really appreciated the practices. I mean, we tried, we bought organic produce and we worked with good farmers locally and, you know, we went to visit their farms and uh, saw how they were working and that was just a part that was important to me and so that kind of translated in wine I think um, it's a good point because if you're in the restaurant business you talk to customers and they bust balls about providence right. you know what farm what practices yeah. you know and then they order like Mayomi or yes. you know it's like wait, wait a second yeah, there's a dis- know, disconnect there yeah I mean there's been a good education and a shift towards that yeah um so that happens early on, and you commit to it, like you yeah. keep your eyes focused. And I think it's on the expansion of producers' regions, right? And I think it, it kind of continues to be reinforced. And I spend a lot of time in Montreal, and the natural wine scene is very strong there. Crazy traveling. I mean, Copenhagen, obviously. Um, anytime I was in France, that I was kind of like drawn to restaurants that supported the same producers and. So Vermont was fairly close to Canada. Yeah. I had David McMillan on from Joe Beef. Yes. I don't think he's with them anymore. He bought a no. farm. He's living his uh, life. Li- yeah. Living the he life actually he's doesn't of. drink anymore. I know. I think. But um, he makes wine. Yeah. <laughs> but he kind of laid out the wine scene there pretty eloquently. Right, right. Um, and As what was does. wrong with the restaurant business. You know, yes. a very colorful guy. Um, so that was fun. All right, Max, we have to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk to you about Roberta's, the wine program, a bunch of other things. Um, we got the wine list, and we mm-hmm. have what looks like some delicious wine in front of us to Me taste. Too. We're talking to Max McKinnon. Max is the wine director at Roberta's right here in Bushwick, right where the Heritage Radio Network studios are. Um, we'll be right back. I'm Chaba Perivan, co-host of Agave Road Trip on HRN here to talk about 818 Tequila. 818 creates their tequila using traditional methods that a family-owned and operate distillery in Jalisco, Mexico. From the blue agave they grow to their recycled glass bottle, 818 emphasizes the Earth's importance in all they do. Their distillery runs on biomass and solar power, which means they don't rely as much on fossil fuels and are able to reduce their carbon footprint. Their labels, corks, and boxes are all certified by the Forest Stewardship Council as coming from sustainability-managed forests. 818 is a proud member of 1% for the Planet, through which they support HRN as well as Sacred, my organization in Jalisco, where together we transform agave byproducts and water waste into adobe bricks that are donated to local infrastructure projects. 
like a local library in Zapotitlan de Vadillo. Visit drink818.com to learn more about their sustainability efforts and find 818 near you. 818 has been part of so many magical nights for me, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. 818 Tequila, imported by 818 Spirits, Manhasset, New York. 40% alcohol by volume, drink responsibly. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. The Hearst family has been raising cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of California's Central Coast for over 150 years. Piedra Blanca Rancho in San Simeon is the original Hearst Ranch, founded by George Hearst in 1865. George's son was the famous publisher, William Randolph Hearst. In addition to being known for building the iconic Hearst Castle, William was, like his father before him, an avid rancher. In his words, I would rather spend a month at the ranch than any place in the world. Thanks to one of the largest land conservation easements in California history, a joint effort with the California Rangeland Trust, the American Land Conservancy, and the state of California, the working landscape at Hearst Ranch will be preserved forever. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at HearstRanch.com. Okay, we're back. We're back with my guest, Max McKinnon. Max is the wine director for Roberta's Pizza all over the place. Let's take it off, Max. There's Roberta's Culver City. There's an opening in Montauk. Yeah, it's open. There's Domino Park. There is. There's, is there anything in like Tennessee? No. Not yet. Not there, yet. There's a pop-up. Pop-up. Yeah, it's been a, a long-standing pop-up. What's that cowboy pop-up? Was that upstate? Or is that... That's that's in Nashville. That's Nashville. Yeah. Okay. Anywhere else that... Um, and there's a permanent space that is set for, you know, sometime okay. as, as soon as it comes together. Okay. Um, uh, there's Houston, but that's a... It's a counter service spot. There's a little, little bit of wine there, but it's in a fun location. Uh, and then same in Chicago. Right. Uh, and then you're in, like, urban space or something yeah. in Manhattan. Yeah. You know, there, there's accessibility to yeah. that. We send a little wine there, too just so people can enjoy a glass if they choose to do so. Yeah, that's a good thing. Um, I got a couple of questions that'll be a good setup for talking about the wine program at Roberta's. Um, I'm curious your thoughts and take on some regions, producers, wines that are exciting you right now. Yeah. I know it changes. I know it could be seasonal. Right. But what... What's top of mind to you? Oh, I'm always kind of drawn old world. So I've, uh, I mean, we're going to drink something from the O'Baron, but it's not necessarily something that's new. It's uh, a producer I've supported for a long time. But I don't know. I've been excited to see a lot of the kind of young winemakers in Burgundy, uh, whether they buy a little uh, property or whether they're working as a negoce. Um, and are kind of like finding vineyards that are farmed well or they're converting the farming themselves. And so that's like the anti-Burgundy. It's right. young. Yeah. They're looking for property that isn't, you know, crazy expensive or exactly. unavailable. Um, I heard a little of that's going on in Germany too. Yeah. You know, where you could pick up property and the younger guys are trying to make wine. Right. Um, that's interesting. 
Can you think of uh, our listeners always like to hear some recos? Can you think of a couple of people um, that are doing yeah. that? I think uh, Domain Didon is a small producer that I have. Spell. D I D O N. D I D O N. Okay. Um, yeah, there's a, a guy, Jonathan Purcell, uh, making wine under the Ven Noe label. Um, he has. A few. So V I N, then? Uh, yeah, and then N O E. L L E or N O E L? N O E. Oh, N O E. Yeah. N O A, yeah. It's got a little accent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah he's actually he's from like just outside of San Diego and is making wine in Burgundy now. But, uh, yeah, I read about an American in Burgundy. Yeah. 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 Um, they're all so you hit it on the nose those are traditional places but you like the new play what about any other regions you know that are not as traditional let me set you up on this sure i know because um i've had these guys on the show a bunch of times i know you were at character how do you pronounce it I think character. Yeah. Character. Yeah. Marco Kovash. Yeah. Um, I know you went out to do that. that there is an exposure to a wide range of winemakers. Yeah. So two things. Explain what it is and, you know, who it's there. And, right. And tell me if there was anybody there, any regions that. Um, yeah. It, it was a kind of a natural wine fair outside of Vienna. Um, it was the ninth one. Marco's been doing it for a while now. Um, but yeah, and I think it gets bigger. Who as participates? Um, winemakers f- focused in Central Europe. Okay. Then maybe brought so the like specialty two, two, is... Two, two, yeah. Yeah, I mean, a couple guys sneak in around. Yeah. Um, and roaming the floor on that, do you walk away with an oh my God on a couple of wines? There was some really great wine there. So it was, it was a fun a fun thing to see. Not all of it in the U.S., but a lot of it. Um, Anything that you're going to bring back to Roberta's? Yeah. And we, we actually work with some of the preachers yeah. who are there already. So Yeah. Um, I know Zev, yeah. ZRS, is heavily involved with those guys. Yeah. Um, got to work yeah. with Zev. And he, Kreischel's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Kreischel's wines are amazing. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's talk about Roberta's. Yeah. So that there's some cool things. I think Marco mentioned something about doing something in New York in October. Yeah, it's October and November, but it's going to be in uh, Midtown, I believe. Yeah, which will be. Yeah, he he had sent me a note, so that'll be interesting. Yeah. We'll talk to him. Kind of a di- different vibe. Yeah, out, well, out in the country and uh, yeah, in Austria, you're not going right? to Stephanie and Edward's house, <laughs> yeah, you know, right. in Manhattan. You're yeah. going to some funky wine bar or whatever. Um, all right, so let's talk about Roberta's. Like I said, they're known for a tight, natural wine list. Yeah. Um, not huge, not small. Um, so you get here, and there are people that preceded you that all, you know, were sincere about, you know, the type of wines that right. should be on the list. Yeah. You get here, you look at the list. What do you do? I mean, what do you bring to the game? Do I mean... You, do you delete? Do you add? Do you... I probably, I think everybody who's worked here probably has areas that they lean more towards to, towards or producers that they, you know, want to bring and support. Um, so go with areas first. What What's the lean that you bring in? 
I mean, I don't think it's anything too crazy, but I probably buy more French wine than anything. Okay. Um, that makes sense to me that yeah. French was not knowing the people that were here. Yeah. You know, and, right. and if you're talking about maybe getting some of those Burgundy guys and we're yeah. going to taste something, you know, that's, that's kind of a cool thing. Yeah. Um, tell me about the wine list. How big? Uh, right now it's maybe 60 to 65 wines, um, but it's just a selection of what we have. Um, so it's 65 on the menu, but there's yeah. more floating around. Yeah. You take stuff off, put stuff on. Right, right. Um, yeah, I think it, it makes it a little easier for most of our guests to, to not be flipping through a book yeah. uh, to order a bottle of wine. Is it harder to curate a smaller, tighter list than to blow out a big list? I think so, um, but I'm lucky to not have to, you know, sell something before I can buy something else. Uh, we have a, a decent sized seller, so right. Um, yeah, we just have stuff that's ready to go on. And, uh, can you get the wines that you want? I mean, it's kind of a silly question because if you can't get it in New York, yeah. But I think the question is less availability. Not a, what am I trying to say? It's more that things have become so popular right. and, you know, they're rationed yeah. that you can't get what you want anymore. Right, is right. that a thing now? It's definitely a thing. Like, uh, what's the wine Frank Cornelison makes? The Sue Sue Sucara? Yeah. yeah. I mean, everybody For loves it. For a while, that was, yeah. You, you couldn't get it, right? Yeah. Um, uh, and then is, there, there are also smaller producers that are even more difficult to, you know. Does that... Does yeah. that drive you crazy or you just move on? It's all right. There's, there's plenty of wine out there. And if they give us two bottles of something or three bottles of something, you can take it. And So you don't feel there's something you have to have so bad it'll drive you crazy? Just Not really. kind of move on? I always understand. If some if somebody, if I ask for something and they say, sorry, you can't have it, and I'm like, Yeah, okay. I mean, that's a healthy I, way I to do it. I don't blame you for it. Yeah. Yeah. I had Justin Cherno from Four Horsemen on. Yeah. I mean, there's stuff that he was able to get and that he loved that he can't get. Yeah. He's not going to obsess over it right, anymore. Right, right. You know, just sometimes he throws his arms up. Yeah. You know, it's like, what, why is this happening like, now? Yeah. You know, why yeah. am I getting screwed on all of this? Exactly. Um, the list skews globally, I guess. I guess there was a little less French. You brought a little more French yeah. to it. But what are we looking at? You know, next thing is Italian because Roberta's... Is... Yeah. Um, I think a lot of Italian wines make a lot of sense with the food here, and uh, people are always always looking for it. So They kind of lean towards that. Yeah. I'm in an Italian-focused oh. restaurant. Right. Um, Although there there are some some producers, for whatever reason, that we, like, Trico, we, we sell... Of whenever it's on a list, it's it's one of the first things to go. Yeah. For whatever reason. Yeah. Uh, I think price point helps out. It's and people who know. Yeah. Know that they're not going to see it everywhere. Right. And if right. they don't buy it, it won't be here in two weeks. Yeah. And it's not prohibitively expensive. So no. It's, yeah. That, that. Well, I think your customers come to know that you know they don't have to want to pay for a ton of money. Right. right. This is not the most expensive meal. Yeah. You throw a pizza, a couple of things together. Sure. You're getting out of here. Um, all right. I have to ask you, it's a little hokey, but I have mm -hmm. to ask you the eternal wine question. All right. For you in your current state. And that's what wines go with pizza. Wow. So I know that toppings, 
just like if you make something with a sauce, you yeah. almost have to pair to a sauce right, and the right, steak right. itself or whatever. All right, so what goes with pizza? Let's start with a plain margarita. Just give me top of your mind what you think the best play is. Oh, that's such a tough question. We've been selling a lot of like fun, lighter Grenache. Goes for, well? Yeah, I think so. What is it about Grenache? It has enough acidity or I mean, it, not too heavy, not too light? Right. When, when it's treated in a light way, I think it, 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 it still has some serious fruit quality. It still has, but like, I don't know. It's, it's something about so aromatics. So give me and, a bottle of Grenache. That would be good with a margarita pizza. Can you think of something? With a margarita pizza. All right, we'll come back to that. When it comes to your mind, you say, oh, here's the one. All right, but Roberta's is famous for the bee sting. Now you have the pizza with some spicy super sod. Um, there's a little honey on it. Yeah. What's good with that? That one's always tough for me. Is it? Yeah. So what What do you settle on? See, it's, it's Too spicy. much going on? There's, it's sweet. sweet. It's like, there's So what's sauce. safe, like a Chianti Classico or not even? I think drink, drink what you like, but maybe multiple chano. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's a good one. It's got a little body. Right. For right. the meat. Yeah. Pizza is a little oily. Yeah. I think um, it's it, it, it kind of like, it matches the level of intensity. Yeah. Or it can. Yeah. Um, I won't torture you. I'll give you one more. <laughs> um, a white pizza. A pizza with no red sauce. With or without clams, you know, sometimes it's yeah. just mozzarella or a little ricotta or whatever. Yeah. Does that uh, push you to white wines or not necessarily? It does for me, um, but that's What's good not necessarily that? for everybody. Um, Chenin Blanc. I think it, it has a, at least, you know, maybe a richer style. Uh, You're preaching to the choir. It can, uh, yeah, I mean, it has a, it can be fuller body to right. kind of have a, there's a, a, a yeah diversity and it's um, great with cheese so you um, made our friend Pascaline very happy that, yes. um, alright so we talked a little about it what are some of the better values on the wine list I mean not always necessarily the specific wine but like like is Grenache a good value generally I mean yeah. it's been I, not, I mean not, if, not if you want a good wine and you're looking for a good value I guess it crosses everything over I mean Think of anything specifically? Aligote. Aligote. Yeah. So you get to hit Burgundy. Yeah. And I you think get to taste and the quality is there. Yeah, but it's always at a you know slightly lower price point. Yeah. That that's a good one. Um, most interesting and funky wine on the list. Something that you know is like this is a bomb in whatever way. Uh in in a I mean Let's see. We can go with something rare and expensive. We've got Timothy Strobel's uh, Cote Champenois Rosé. Uh, so Cote Champenois is the still wine of Champagne? Yeah. And it's a rosé? Yeah. I think so, there's, you know, there's not, not, much, not much of it out there. But, yeah. you know, it's a bit of a... It, it's for it's for a certain person coming in to, look, to drink that's something the, that's, that's hard to answer. get and is interesting. And, is it super expensive because of the rarity or it's not that crazy it's pretty expensive it is pretty expensive yeah okay <laughs> which All is right. both the rarity thing and i think where it comes from you know also 
All right, those are those are good ones, man. All right, Max. So that's the wine list at Roberta. But like we tell everybody, that if you don't know what you want or like, just tell people what you're thinking. Yeah. What you want to spend, right. what you like, tell them what you're ordering. Yeah. That's what should, Max is here for. He's ne- not ne- here to upsell you. Or no. it, you should never be uncomfortable telling, yeah. telling somebody how much you want to spend. Yeah, and, and Max is that kind of guy, believe me. Um, but you should feel that way about any wine person, whether it's retail or in a restaurant. All right, Max, we don't let anybody leave the Grape Nation without answering our wine list. Five questions. Everybody's asked the same five questions. I should have studied. You shouldn't study. Spontaneity <laughs> is really what makes this fun. Uh, we post your answers on social media because guys like you who toil over this mm-hmm. um, really find some good wines and we want to hear what you're saying. So two things. We're going to start it, but I think we should pour a little of this wine yeah. and drink it before our second and then we could talk about it. So this is the Trico Pinot Noir Rosé. You'll tell me a little more about it. Sure. When we do the wine sip. All right, you ready for, maybe you need to take a gulp of this for the uh, <laughs> wine list? I'm going to take a sip of this. It's kind of a beautiful, almost like coppery red. Yeah. Mm. That's good. Wow, that's good. Nice. Really good. All right, Max, here we go. Wine list, five questions. First question. You may have answered this, you know, during the interview, but tighten it up a little for me. What are you drinking now? What's in your fridge at home? What are you trying? Do the seasons change what you were drinking and what you're drinking now? Is your wife bringing stuff home? What's a couple things? A couple things. Uh, I drink a lot of Burgundy and Jura. Uh, That's your... Your preference. Yeah, and then the stuff that my wife does not bring home that I love to drink is Syrah. So, uh, so couple things. Yeah. Tell me about a couple of specific things in the Jura that you like. There is a lot. I know. So, uh, yeah, I mean. Any whites, reds? Uh, both. I mean, I, I, I like kind of like richer style whites. Sometimes, as long as the acidity is there and, you know, it's it's got some tension to it, but... Uh, is that hard to find? A rich white that has the acidity and the tension? Not in the Jura. Right. It's easier. That's why you go there. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, I drink a lot of lighter style reds, so... Uh, yeah. yeah, that's a good region for that. Yeah. Um, what else? You uh, said Syrah, your yeah. wife. Are we talking Rhone, or what yeah. are we talking... Yeah. What are we talking there? St. Joseph, Cornas? I kind of, you know, get into all of it. Uh, Yeah, so. Any particular producers? Uh, I mean, Gonon's a favorite of mine. He was on the show. You know, it was a dream to put him on the show. He's a wonderful guy. I got to visit and hang out. And, you know, he's one of the people I'm still in touch with. He's very From the region. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, What's a little sad, and sort of like Burgundy was, the wines were somewhat accessible and yes. reasonable, and now yeah. here's what you pay. And I, l- I look at what it cost on the list at Peace Two. Yeah. It's a different different time. Yeah. He's a special <laughs> wine maker. Yeah. All right. Those are good answers. All right. This is the goofiest question on the uh, wine list, but cool. I'm going to make you answer yeah. it. Favorite wine and food pairing? 
not what you think is a good pairing or what you'd recommend. What do you like? Obviously, you're not eating it every night, every month. Yeah, sure. But what's that? Wow, this works. I mean... You're not allowed to say champagne and oysters on this show. No, it's definitely like Northern Montserrat and Braised Lamb Shank. And why does that work? A little gaminess of the lamb? Yeah, and the like pepperiness of the wine. Full-bodied. Yeah, full-bodied. I mean, I I drink mostly light reds, but, you know, then... You know, that, yeah, that pairing for that's me like is something... That's like the opposite end. I can eat it probably more than more than most you, things. Yeah, but, that's a good one. I mean, uh, that is kind of a perfect pairing. Yeah. When you think I, about I, it. I think so. Yeah, good one. Yeah. All right, third question. Favorite wine restaurant and our bar? Now, I know we went through a pandemic, things were closed, people didn't go out. I know you work your ass off, you, bounce, you bump around a little... California here whatever but I think when you come in here there's a guy Max who's put a thoughtful list together if you talk to him he'll guide you the list is cool the vibe is great what's like where where do you go or you know of that you know embraces all of that anywhere LA's you know whatever I mean talked about we, we talked about Montreal yes uh, and I'm ashamed to say that I've not been to Mont La Peine yet is that um, Vanya yeah but uh, Vanya and Marco yeah but we used to go to Ven Papillon a fair amount when they were still there uh, so that so with Montreal the, with, with, wine scene is there anything yeah. like that around here uh, do you th- go out people, much I, I go out a fair amount so when like, I can you know? Let's think about, you know, where. Uh, let's see. By not mentioning someone doesn't mean you forgot them. No, of course. Not. These are just places that, yeah. You know, I mean, I love the Four Horsemen. Talk about... Can't go wrong with that. Yeah. Uh, the That's wine a, list and the food kind of to match it. Uh, they've really come into a stride. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. arguably one of the most interesting restaurants. Yeah. I remember going and seeing Justin there right before they opened. And like walking around the space, and I did not know what it would, what it would turn into, but yeah, yeah, it's hard to get into now. Yeah. Um, all right, those are good ones. <laughs> all right, fourth question: favorite all-time wine. When I put this question on the list, Oof. look, hear me out here. When I put the question on the list, my intention was sort of all right. I got Max across from me. Let me see the rarest, most expensive wine he ever drank. You know, he's in the business. I can give a crap about that. Yeah. What What's the wine or a few wines that were enlightening, that were gateways, that changed the way you thought about it? It had to be starting at Pistot along the road. Where yeah. There were a few wines that solidified your love of wine, natural wine, you know, all right. of that. Can right. you think of a couple things? Probably. Um, no, no, you have to right now. Remember <laughs> I told you spontaneity? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I was lucky enough to drink a handful of bottles of Cherry Almond Reynard um, back in that day. It was also, you know, we had allocated a fair amount of it. And, uh, so you, you love Syrah. You know, he yeah, epitomizes. Right. right. And I think that was kind of 
I, somehow that was the beginning of my northern Rome Syrah kind of like journey right. started there. So so when you tasted it, it hit right away. Yeah. Like this is, yeah. Um, can you think of anything else like that? I'm trying to think of like the the producers in the Jirah who like I mean, was the, there somebody early on that you know opened you up to the Jirah can you think of anything I mean probably just the, the great number of producers that are yeah. doing things that are exciting yeah. um, you know you can you could name drop the, the rare and now expensive ones but yeah, that, that's sad too. Uh, you know, but I was still. I mean, even like the Baron Foss wines, I was drinking. You know, yeah, back at Peace Stew and and love those and yeah. So uh, we come back to the Girag. Yeah, and there are producers that are newer to me now. But uh, all right, those are good ones. Yeah. Um, all right, last question. You're almost at the finish line. <laughs> You'll get across alive, um, and I think you should be able to handle this question pretty well. Recommend to me the best wine retail for around 15, 20, 22 bucks. I need you to recommend a red. I need you to recommend a white. You can do producer. You could do regions like regions. Muscadet is yeah. pretty good value in that price range. Yeah. Some 15, good producer. 15, to 15 20. 20, 22 bucks. Here's the setup every time. Yeah. My kids are a little younger than you. They can't show up at a dinner party with a crappy supermarket wine. Yeah. They're not spending 40 50 on a gift. Right. That just adds up. So they're looking for that wow wine for 18 20 22 What comes to mind? I mean, I think I always lean French, as we've talked about, but I'm trying to think of regions where you can... It's getting it's getting tough now. Yes, uh, the reds. With this question, the reds tend to be tougher than the whites. Yeah, but, uh, but Max, we must dig here, and we can, must come up with a you, record. You can too. always find some like uh, Grillot or Pinot Donis for you know. Can from, you get from, those from a, in that price range? I think so. Okay. Yeah. Those are very interesting wines. Grillo yeah. is G R O. L L E A U. Yeah. Okay, that's the varietal. Yeah. And Pinot Dionis, Pinot D apostrophe A U N I S. Yes. Okay. So those are two varietals that you should look for. Um, is Grillo white? No, no it's red. red. Yeah. 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 I'm thinking of something else. All right, so that's the reds. Let's think white. Uh, I mean, you can probably find a few bottles of Aligote that are. Uh, still in that kind so. of like $20 range. I think uh, so. I think it's a good place to look. Yeah. Uh, if you're in Burgundy, it's probably getting a little more expensive than that. But So take a minute to explain what Aligote is. It's in Burgundy. It's an area, where is it, north of where? Just tell, just set that up for me. So yeah. people, because it's worth seeking out and the more people know about sure. it. Sure. Uh, I mean, you see... A decent amount of it in Burgundy, but you know it's a it's a great variety you can find elsewhere too. Um, but it's it's not it doesn't kind of develop as much richness or fruit as uh, Chardonnay, but uh, I think grown in the right soils and treated right, 
it, it, it creates it hit, sometimes it hits a very lot of interesting lines. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Where it's grown in other places besides Burgundy. Yeah. Like, I mean, you can grow in California. Yeah. And, I mean, I mean, Dan Petrosky's growing Ramola. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. You could grow mostly anything somewhere. Um, all right. So yeah, Aligote for the, for the white. Go ahead. Yeah. Anything else come to mind? I mean, it's hard. I like primarily buy a lot of white or twenty dollar bottles retail. It's yeah. I have to like convert from what what we pay at the restaurant. <laughs> yeah. So what's a good value white that you serve here that you think is? Think about it. Yeah. What's the varietal? I mean. We try and pour Chenin Blanc by the glass, so that anything we pour by the glass will be like okay. twenty bucks on a retail shelf or something okay. like that. So Shannon again. Yeah. Good call. Yeah. It's my wife's favorite grape too, so Is it? It's it's around um, it's around a lot. And the interesting you said earlier was the diversity of styles. Yeah. Sweet, dry, in between. Right. right. Um, and different makers. Um, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. All right. Good job there. Eh. Had to pull a couple things out of you, but I ain't letting right. you out of here until I get the answers. Um, all right. Our last segment of the show is called the Weekly Wine Sip. Every week we taste a different wine on air. It's a great opportunity, as I mentioned to you, if a winemaker comes in to taste their wine or when you have somebody like you who painstakingly you know, looks at all these wines and makes the selections, I asked if you didn't mind to pull a wine out yeah. that you like that's cool, that's reasonable, that's accessible, meaning some way, somehow, you right. know, you could find it. So we're tasting the Tricot Pinot Noir Rosé. Mm -hmm. Tell me more about the wine, the maker, the region, uh, vintage. Yeah, the vintage is 2020. Uh, it's late Trois Bonhomme, and so it's 100% Pinot Noir that they vinify as a rosé. Uh, there are a couple making wine in the Auvergne. I think they've got five hectares or so. Um, and they've been making wine there since 2003. Oh. Um, yeah, they took over. And what type of farming practices? All organic. It's all um, organic. Yeah, They're, the property they took over actually was organic since the early 70s. And, so and they, they kind of kept it that way. Because yeah. um, it's the opposite. After the war, everybody killed everything, right. and they had to bring it back. Yeah. So they were lucky to walk into that. Yeah. So uh, and minimal seller. Yes. Intervention. Um, I mean, I think in two thousand three they made some wine without sulfur, and they they haven't added sulfur to wine, the wine in over ten years, which is crazy because I think they're talented enough to do it. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, where are you at with sulfur? occurs naturally yeah. sometimes you have to put a little in I mean, yeah you're not obsessed that if there's any sulfur in it no it's over no i uh i do drink wine with sulfur in it okay uh, you know i think you can make amazing wine without it i think i think that's sometimes proven of late sometimes you'll uh you'll you'll end up ruining wine if you are too dogmatic to right to add sulfur when something's going wrong. Um, but All right, so let's Minim talk. Minimal's good. 
I yeah. think. You know, I mean, done right by the right people. Yeah, you know, you know they you know what they need to do. Yeah. All right, so let's talk more about this wine. So it is a rosé of 100% Pinot Noir. Yes. What do we know about the winemaking? Is it whole cluster? Is it? It is we... not. Um, okay. I believe it is direct press into fiberglass tanks. Huh. Yeah. Um, and. To make a rosé like this, how long do we think they keep it on the skins? Not long. Yeah. Yeah. It's a medium. It's a medium color one. Yeah. Um, all right. So I'm gonna pour myself a little more. Yeah. Because we're gonna do an evaluation. Because <laughs> uh, this seems like a very cool wine. I know I'm off mic, but you think I know by now? <laughs> all right. So next, let's look at the color. Um, uh, sort of a pinky, coppery, you know, not light, not dark, but really a beautiful, I mean, it's a beautiful color, right? Yeah. Uh, it's, and it's, it's, it's fairly clear, you know. Definitely. It, you know, For being unfinded, unfiltered. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's very clear to that point. All right. So let's go nose. Put it under that schnoz. And I suck at this. What do you get on the nose? Kind of an interesting nose. Tell yeah. me, tell me the descriptors you get. I mean, I think you get enough uh, of that kind of ripe, ripe fruit that people love in, in a lot of rosé. Uh, you know, anyone will say something on top besides the fruit. I can't figure yeah, out. No, what that I, th is. I think what I love about this and what I love in a lot of rosé are kind of the the slightly more savory elements. There's definitely exactly. Some, like, There's a savory like this As a general quality. Yep. Um, you know, it's like. All right, so let's go mouthfeel. When people drink rosé, you know, they're thinking kind of a lighter wine or whatever. Um, that's not the case. People don't know rosé the way we know rosé. Right, right. So when you throw this over the tongue, it's got a nice medium. Yeah. It's I'd not a thin wine. It's for rosé, it's definitely more medium-bodied. Yeah. Uh, Which is, it's nice. I yeah. mean, it's got got some nice body coats your palate it's got some substance to it definitely and it spreads out in the mouth all right even even like a little bit of tannin but just barely yeah yeah pinot noir rosé we're talking tannin right um all right take another sip and talk to me about the palate and let me know if the palate replicates what you find on the nose too Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of a lot of the nose translates to the palate on the red with, with, the, with this wine. Um, the savoriness. Yeah, you get, you definitely get that more more kind of like fresh, savory herbs, not yeah. not dried out in any way. Um, where where's the acidity on this? Is this a medium acidic wine? Is it low? I think it's got a decent amount of acidity. Yeah. yeah. I think it's keeps not vacant of acid. Yeah. Uh, it's not, you know, in your face, but it's there. Right, right. Um, what's the alcohol on this? Should be pretty low. Oh, it's 13. Okay. So uh, you could drink this. All right. But, now the uh, other question, which I tortured you with before, is uh, tell me some good food pairings, food, snacks, whatever. I mean, what would be nice with this? I think a lot of things would be nice with it, but I think... Uh, Max, you can't answer a I question know, like I that. Know. you got to well, be specific. Is it I, charcuterie? Is I, it I, chicken? What? I think this is good with more kind of like <clears throat> of the vegetable 
focused things that we serve here. Uh, you know, Light. E- even just the salads we have, you know, so salads are often, well it's often a tough thing to suggest, you know, a wine to drink with salad, but rosé is good for that. But you're talking like a dressed salad with yeah. at least olive oil and some kind of acid. Yeah. This on top of it would pair well. Yeah. Um, and that's not the easiest thing to pair properly. Right, a exactly. salad, you know, vegetable, the old yeah. artichoke and asparagus. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think it's a tough And one. if you're not going to pour Sauvignon Blanc or something, which... I, so, tick off the... I don't have the bottle in front of me. Tick off the producer, the vintage year and everything. So, the wine we tasted today is the Trico. Yeah. Marion Vincent Trico. Le Trois Bonhomme uh, is the name of the cuvee. They make a, a red as well, but it's, this okay. is a Le Trois Bonhomme Rosé, 2020. And I don't want to put you on the spot, but ballpark retail do you have any idea i mean work backwards 30 34 something like that so it's not cheap not expensive right. but delivers everything yeah you're looking for in yeah. a, a better um pinot noir rosé i think so um it's pretty delicious yeah and um, I, I i love supporting their their yeah. wines i mean they don't need it as much as they used to because or, uh, that's the story wines, but we talked about it earlier here's a classic example it's true right you just drink it and enjoy it then yeah. you go to order and it's like you get two bottles yeah it's like what happened yeah all right so that's the uh trico uh pinot noir rosé max thank you for responding to my request and pulling that out it's of course. a good one yeah um i appreciate tasting pleasure. it pleasure and i uh i will post it on cool. our social media so people you know are aware of it when they come in here or if they try to look at it yeah they make amazing light red wine uh yeah people should spend yeah. a little more time looking for their wines go yeah. online or you know wherever they can get more info right. all right max we got to wrap up the show let me do a quick wrap up and i want to get some info from you um and then we're out of here so if you have a question suggestion wine happening or event hit me up at sam at the great that's sam at the great subscribe to the great nation podcast on apple Podcasts, stitcher spotify or wherever you get your pods um i always say that if you subscribe max will pop up with all his great records and his interesting stories so why should you have to chase him down when you can subscribe and we'll be there um, follow us on Facebook at The Grape Nation. On Instagram, we're at S. Ben Ruby. On Twitter, we're at Ben Ruby. I know that's confusing. So you can always go to the hashtag, The Grape Nation, to find us. Um, as I mentioned, we will post Max's wine list answers on our social media in the coming week. And I will also give you more information on our um, weekly wine sub- selection, the Trico. Pinot Noir Rosé. Max, if we want to find out more about you and Roberta's, where are good places to go on social media? Social media, my Instagram is Max, M-A-C-K-1-3. Okay, Uh, so that's, you could catch up with Max. And you can find me there. If he's not running somewhere. It's it's mostly uh, drinking wine and running. Well, but that's discovery. <laughs> you know, you're drinking a wine and people go, what's Max drinking in yeah. that? So that's why I ask people where they can find sure, it. Sure. And Roberta's is at Roberta's. And yeah, Roberta's Pizza, and yeah. That stuff. Um, yeah. Just a curiosity, if I go to Roberta's on 
the internet and I hit website, do I see any of the wine selections or yep. to yeah, the wine list. So if you've never been here and you like what you're hearing, you can go on and like here's some of the wines or yeah. here's the list for now. Yeah. That's good to know. All right, Max. Um, it was a pleasure sitting down with you. A pleasure to meet you. I wish you only good luck and success here at Roberta. I'll see Appreciate you coming that. in and out of the studio. Exactly. Um, thank you to our guest, Max McKinnon. Max is the wine director at Roberta's. Thank you to our engineer, as always, Armin. Um, and everyone at the Heritage Radio Network, I'm Sam Ben Ruby, and you've been listening to The Grape Nation. The Grape Nation is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.